In the uh, first service this morning, uh, we had a couple of uh, young girls talk about their experiences at Bible college, and uh, one of them had been in a program called Patmos. Uh, I forget, it was San Salvador or one of those Central American countries. And it was just such a, a joy to hear these young people talking about how they wanted to grow closer to Jesus. And, and I mean, that really should be our goal, right? I mean, just like we just sang, you know, God, do what you want to do in us. Um, the, the world out there is, is crazy. There's so many things going on in the world today. I mean, just imagine what's going on right now in China and, and the, the concern and the anxiety and the fear that has brought uh, even to our shore. Um, I think I heard this morning on the news that there's now one confirmed case of coronavirus in, in Canada. Um, you know, people are, are worried and, and probably for good reason. Um, I thought about what Randy taught about at the end of last year, um, just giving us a, an update and, and knowing, knowing these things are going to come. But we as believers shouldn't fear. We've got the Lord, right? But you know, guys, there's a whole world out there that doesn't know Christ. I want to share some statistics with you this morning. And, you know, the other thing I really enjoyed too were the testimonies that we received the last couple of Sundays. So, so good to hear what the Lord is doing in people's lives, what, what God has done in them, you know, and, and giving all the glory to God and, and having Daniel um, share what he's experienced through uh, taking the discipleship course. Um, I apologize beforehand. There's going to be a bit of a commercial for that. But, uh, but I want to I share these, uh, these stats with you this morning. And um, uh, they're, they're from the U.S., and they're probably a year or so old, but... I think they still apply, but um, apply to Canada at least. Uh, it says, in, in America, between 1946 and 2006, the suicide rate quadrupled for males ages 15 to 24 and doubled for females the same age. Um, you, you may have experienced uh, suicide in, in your acquaintances. I, I, I've had a few close friends that have taken their own lives. Um, this is concerning. It should be concerning. In 1950, the suicide rate per 100,000 Americans was 11.4, and in 2017, it was 14. Reuters Health reported in 2019, suicidal thinking, severe depression, and rates of self-injury among U.S. college students more than doubled over less than a decade, a nationwide study suggests. It suggested that something is seriously wrong in the lives of young people. That's concerning, and it should concern us as Christians. I mean, you, you think about how the world has changed simply with the, uh, the issue of global warming. It started off as global warming, and then it became climate change, and then it became a climate crisis. Now, now they're calling it a climate catastrophe. I mean, just in, in the span of a decade or so, it's gone from change or warming, to catastrophe. And, and, you know, we can argue the statistics, we can argue the, uh, the rightness or the wrongness of climate change. People are scared. 
and, and they're worried. And it's causing all kinds of effects in our society. And then we have this. Loneliness, public health experts tell us, is killing as many people as obesity and smoking. Germans are lonely. The bon vivant French are lonely. Even the Scandinavians, the happiest people in the world, according to the UN's World Happiness Report, are lonely too. I didn't even know there was a a happiness report. Leave it to the UN, right? Uh, Then a a year or so ago, British Prime Minister Theresa May recently appointed a minister of loneliness. Consider, (laughs) Consider Japan, a, a country now in the throes of an epidemic of kodokushi, which is roughly translated as lonely deaths. These are are sometimes, more often than not, uh, elderly whose families have abandoned them or have no families and are are dying alone in their apartments and are often not found for days or weeks. That's happening in Japan. And though uh, people have more money, better health care, better health, better housing and more education and live longer than at any other time in history, they, and especially young people, are unhappier than at any time since data collection began. And there are a number of reasons. Increased use of illicit drugs, prescription drug abuse, less human interaction because of the constant cell phone use are two widely offered valid explanations. Uh, Less valid explanations include competition, grades anxiety, capitalism, and income inequality. And then there are young people's fears that... That, that, that's the mindset. But the biggest reason may be the almost complete loss of values and meaning over the last half century. One in five young Americans has no contact with his or her father, including fathers who have died. In 2011, 72% of black children were born to unmarried mothers. In 1965, it was 24%. 24% to 72%. In 2012, 29% of white children were born to unmarried women. In 1965, it was 3.1%. The majority of births to millennials are to unmarried women. Yet according to a 2018 Cigna study, single parents are generally the loneliest Americans. The biggest problem, the loss of meaning in young people's lives. These are some statistics that I came across recently. And I share these with you to let you know that the church, the church is strategically placed in the world to be able to offer help, to help the lonely, to help the widowed, to help the orphan, to help the destitute, those uh, who are hungry, those who are are naked, those who are in prison. And I think most of us are all familiar with what is called the Great Commission here in Matthew 28. And it's been been such a great study as as Pastor Brent has taken us through the Gospel of John. And, And he's kind of focused in on what we've been talking about for the past little while, and that's discipleship talking about being a disciple 
and giving us a, a clear picture of what a disciple looks like. So in, in Matthew 28, look at verse 19 and verse 20. Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Now, you may not know this, but you will after what I'm about to say. The theme for Riverside this year is follow me. Follow me. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And you may have seen placards around the church. There's one right at the exit there, or entrance, um, that says, follow me. And that's our theme for the, for the year. And, and this is the thing. You see, we can, we can make converts. We can tell people about Jesus. We can be with them when they receive Christ. But that's not what we're instructed to do in Matthew 28. We're not just to make converts but we are called by the Lord to make committed followers of Christ, to make disciples. And I've, I've recently heard something that, that troubles me. And, and the crazy thing about it is that I, I know I've said it myself. And the thing that I'm hearing people saying or Christians saying is, don't, you know, don't look at me. I'm I'm." fallible, I, I fail, I stumble, uh, just look to Jesus. But church, that is wrong. That's not what Christ has called us to be. He has called us to be disciples because we're supposed to represent our Savior. We are called Christians. We are his body, his hands, his feet, his ears and mouth. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, imitate me. But we're hearing people saying, oh, don't, don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we read, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Oh, what an amazing verse. You look in the mirror, and what do you see? The glory of the Lord in you. Do you not know that your body is a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Think about that for a moment. The Spirit of God dwelling in us. And so Jesus calls us to follow him to imitate him, to become transformed, to be his ambassadors, to be a new creation, to seek those things which are above, setting our minds on things above, not on things of the earth, and having our lives hidden with Christ, putting off the old man and putting on the new man. That's what we've been called to do. Brent shared with us what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In Christ. Calls us to follow him. But we do make excuses for why we don't. And I've made, made excuses. I still make excuses. But I'm, I'm trying to come to grips with this whole idea of, of discipleship and not just being a convert, but a disciple. But I want to I share with you that, that this isn't something new. This is the way it's always been. People always made excuses. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Have you ever said that? I know I have. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Ouch. Oh, when I, when I make the excuse why I don't follow Jesus, when I make the excuse, don't imitate me, imitate him. Because I'm fallible, I fail, I fall. Even those, those things are true, but when I make the, that excuse, I'm saying, Lord, ah, I'm really not fit for your kingdom. But where do I want to be? I want to be with the Lord. I want to be in his kingdom. And so we see here in Matthew 28 that before the Lord ascended to heaven, he instructed his followers to go and make disciples. Now that phrase is enough to put the fear in you and in me. Make disciples? How do I do that? I'm not, I'm not even sure what I believe yet. But how do I tell others? Well, the desire of your leadership at Riverside is to make disciples who go and make disciples. And it's, it, it, it's really a process of spiritual excuse me, multiplication my mouth is dry. Multiplication versus spiritual addition. See, when we make a convert, that's addition. When we make a disciple, it's multiplication. And so we've, we've started book one of the 2-7 series, Growing Strong in God's Family. And isn't that what we all want? Don't we all want to grow strong in God's family? You know, we're, we're, the, we're the family of God. We say it proudly. But are we strong? We have to grow strong. You see, coming to Christ is only the beginning. But he said, come, follow me. And following is a step-by-step -step process. I defy anyone to follow someone and not put one foot in front of the other. It, it can't be done. If you're going to follow someone, Oh, he's moving. Have you heard about what he's doing in Iran? It's the fastest growing church in the world. It, 
If you haven't had a chance, if you haven't heard of it, I, I urge you, watch the YouTube videos, Sheep Among Wolves. Man, if it doesn't bring you to tears, I don't know what will. It blew my mind. God's moving. And I, I know you, as well as I, want the Lord to move here. So we, we've begun this Growing Strong in God's Family study in order to learn how to step-by-step step learn and grow and, and be guided to become disciples who make disciples. See, this, this isn't just a disciple study to tell you what a disciple is. It's intended to make you a disciple who makes disciples. And just in a, in a few weeks, February the 16th, we're going to be starting book two, which is called Deepening Your Roots in God's Family. And uh, as, as Cole mentioned, there's sign-up sheets in, in the back. And, and this is the thing, folks. I know many of you have taken book one, and it may have been some years, and you haven't had a chance to take book two. So please go and sign up for book two. We're going to be doing it again during the first service on a Sunday. Now, if that doesn't work for you, still sign up. Okay, and then write down beside it that it doesn't, oh, thanks, that, that it doesn't work for you. Thank you, brother. That, that it doesn't work for you, and, and, and we'll contact you. Put your phone number down. We'll contact you, figure out what does work. And the same with book one. If you want to do book one, but Sunday just doesn't work for you, put your name down on the, on the other sheet for book one, and then just write beside it, uh, I think there's a space there for best day and time, okay? And then we'll figure it out. You know, we, we want people, we want believers to learn how to become disciples who can make disciples. Excuse me just for a minute. <clears throat> oh. Ah, fresh water. <laughs> Ah, it's like the Spirit of the Lord just washes over you. He <laughs> spilled a little bit too. <laughs> so if you haven't taken book one, pray about it. Uh, we're going to be doing another book one. But I want to ask you this question this morning. I want you to think about this. If you had the opportunity to reach 100 people for Christ every day, 100 people for Christ every day, or winning someone to Christ, teaching them, building them up, and sending them out every six months. What would you choose? Have a look at this. Here on the left-hand side, we see spiritual addition. On the right-hand side, we see spiritual multiplication. Spiritual addition is 100 people a, a day for Christ. First year, 36,000 people. After 16 years, 576,000. That's a lot of people. I mean, I'd, I'd be happy with 576,000 converts. But now look at spiritual multiplication. In the first year, you have four. Then 16, and then so forth. And then after 16 years, 17 billion that's what spiritual multiplication is. That's what happens when we teach believers to become disciples that make disciples. 
The need for disciple-making is great. There's a world out there. There's people out there that are lonely and desperate, don't know where to turn. And we have the answers. We have the answer, Jesus Christ. Now, a few Sundays ago, Pastor Brent showed us another graphic, and it was this one. It's called, we call it the spiritual stages of growth. And, and you look at this, and studies have shown that 75% of the church would, would place themselves as, as spiritual children, or as a spiritual child. Now, you take a look at our church today. That means from here all the way over, you're all spiritual children. I'm, I'm sure you're glad to know that this morning. But, you know, I mean, it could be the other way as well. It could be 75 over here. That means you guys in the middle, you're, you know, that's it. You're just a spiritual child. No. But, but that's, that's how many people in the church. And that should be, that should be difficult for us to accept. You know, what's, what's going on? Spiritual children. They're, they're a lot like natural children. They're self-focused. You know, I, most, many of us have had children, and we know what it's like. You know, you've got your baby, and then they become a toddler, then they become a, a child, and, and it's mine, mine, me, mine. You know? I mean, fights in the, in the sandbox start because they don't want to share their toy. It's the other kid's toy, but they don't want to share it. You know? It's mine. Spiritual children are, are just like that. They're very self-focused. Because spiritual children need to learn how to do the right thing and to recognize right from wrong. They need to learn how to feed themselves. I mean, can you imagine having a two-year-old sitting in their chair and they're crying because you know they're hungry? And so you, you grab a pound of flour and a dozen eggs and a gallon of milk and you put it in front of them and you say, there you go, make some pancakes. I'm going to work. I mean, we would never do that. And yet somehow the church does that. We make a convert. Well, what do I do now? Well, read the Bible. Come to Bible study. Come to church. And somehow we expect them to learn to be a disciple through osmosis. You know, that, that somehow by teaching and preaching the word of God once a week creates this holy virus that infects them and then, whoa, you know, they're Saul of Tarsus, or Paul the Apostle, or John, or Peter. Or... It's just, you know, when you think about it, it it's funny that we, that we have that, that mindset, you know. They, they need to learn the basic disciplines in order to grow. And, and these kind of things, you know, they're, they're not intended to condemn anyone. I mean, there's no condemnation in this. We are to examine ourselves. We are to ask ourselves, where am I? Where am I in my walk with the Lord? How long have I been a Christian? Six months? Six years? Sixty years? I mean, we could, we could probably do a survey, which actually I did a survey in our class. And it was interesting. You know, as you looked at the survey results, there was peaks and valleys. And that doesn't mean that there was anything wrong. It's just that's the truth. That's the reality. That's where people felt they were at. And so maybe you're here this morning and you, you see yourself as a spiritual child. Or maybe you see yourself as a spiritual infant. 
maybe you're even here this morning and you realize that you don't know Jesus. And the Bible says that you're spiritually dead. But that Christ came to give life. And we can talk more about that. Come and see me if that's where you're at. But maybe you're a spiritual infant or a spiritual child or a spiritual young adult. But you can't, you can't stay there. You must not stay there. Because we're followers of Jesus, which means as he moves, we move. So examining ourselves is not a bad thing because seeing where we're currently at is not a bad thing. And the Bible encourages us to make our calling and election sure. Are you, are you convinced? Are you assured of Christ? One of the first verses that we learned in our book one study is called the assurance of salvation. And what is it? First? Uh, no. First John, John, chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. Thank you. You've got to work on those memory verses, right? First John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is found at Walmart. No. This life is in his son. He who has a son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Hey, see, there's a few more back there that know that verse as well. But you know, in the 17 years that I pastored and, and other years that you know, I was uh, leading studies and whatnot, you, you know how many believers didn't know that they had eternal life in Christ? Oh, they, they had the concept of it, but they weren't assured of it. They were, they were afraid. They were, they were scared. But the Bible gives us the assurance of salvation, 1 John 5, 11 and 12. Um, John 5, 24. Other verses. You know, so many, so many great verses that assure us of our salvation. So examination is good. Now, if you identify with being a spiritual child, do you know how to hate evil? Do, uh, are you convinced about the authority of the Bible? That, that was one of the first things that I had to come to grips with when I became a Christian, when I asked Christ in my life. What do I do now? I didn't know any Christians. I didn't go to church. I didn't have friends that went to church. What do I do now? Well, I guess I should read the Bible. Okay, so I got a Bible. I didn't know how to read the Bible. Where, where do I read first? Do I, do, I, do I go to Genesis? Do I go to Revelation? Uh, forget about Leviticus. My goodness. You know? But, but do you know the authority of the Bible? And I, I determined right there and then that, that, that the Bible was either the Word of God or it wasn't. And if it wasn't, that's it. No more time spent. If it was, it was the most important document that the world has ever known. Yeah, amen. But it can't be both true and wrong. It's either all true or all wrong. And as I said before, if, if you believe that the Bible has error in it, pray tell, tell me what the error is. Who determines what the error is? God said, my word is truth. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he holds his word above everything else. 
It will never perish. So being convinced about the authority of the Bible, do you understand what it means to lay down your life? Have you embraced the centrality of Christ? We'll talk more about that in a minute. Are you consistently putting Christ first in your life? Is the reading of the word of God and prayer a discipline that you practice daily? Do you have relationships in your church family? Or do you just come on Sunday and then you never speak to another brother or sister for the remaining week? Are you obeying the word of God? We all say we love the Lord. Jesus said, if you have my commandments and keep them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. John 14, 21. Think about that for a moment. He who has my commandments and keeps him, it is he who loves me. Now, now don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not laying some, some legalistic guilt trip on you. I'm just telling you what the word of God says. Seek the Lord on that. See what he says. Are you obeying the word of God? So if 75% of the church are spiritual children who haven't yet learned these disciplines, I think there's something wrong. The writer of Hebrews, he also expressed concern about this. Pastor Brent mentioned it, I believe, last Sunday. He said in, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. And you know, that's the way I was for probably the first decade of my life in Christ. I kept going back and forth, back and forth, in the world, out of the world, in the world, back to church, reading the Bible, not reading the Bible, praying, not praying. And I finally realized the reason I was doing that was, one, I didn't know how to read the Bible for myself, and I didn't know how to pray. And so if we want to follow Christ, we need to be moving and growing in these areas. But if we stay spiritual children, we have to ask ourselves, am I following? And ask yourself, no matter, no matter where you see yourself on this chart... Where do I want to be next week, next month, or next year? And what steps and what actions am I going to take in order to move forward? And when I was teaching the class, you guys remember this, I said, no matter where you are at today, that's called your current reality. This is currently where you are. But you can't stay there. Where do you want to be from now? If reading the Bible and not reading the Bible is your current reality, where do you want to be a week from now or a month from now? And how are you going to start? Well, I'm going to read the Bible every day for four hours. Is that practical? How about just reading two or three verses a day and letting the Lord lead you and guide you through the Word of God? How about keeping a, a Bible reading journal, writing down important thoughts that the Lord lays on your heart? How about praying what the Lord is showing you in Scripture, praying it back to Him? That's called communication. God speaks to us in His Word. We speak back to God in prayer through what he is showing us. And we make notes of, of what the Lord is showing us. Steps, actions. That's what discipleship is, moving to become well-rounded, balanced Christians. I want you to think about the wheel illustration that Brent showed us. We know that in a, in a mechanical wheel, the power comes from the hub. Who is at the center of this wheel? Jesus Christ. He's the great power. He's above all things. We sang that this morning. And so 
Christ has to be at the center of my wheel. And we see that vertical relationship that we have through Christ with God, through the word, through prayer. And that results in an obedient Christian. And that obedient Christian moves like a wheel. And then that relationship, that vertical relationship we have with God, then expresses itself in a horizontal relationship with others. Relationship with God, relationship with others. First, we have relationship with each other. We pray for one another. We share the word with one another. We help one another. And then we're able to move out into witnessing. But always Christ at the center. Has anyone ever driven a car with an unbalanced wheel? Yeah, you have. Um, I'm the proud owner of a Jeep TJ. Jeeps are known for a mechanical issue that is called the death wobble. And I didn't know about it until I first got my Jeep. And I'm driving. I get on the freeway. And I'm loving my Jeep. You know, I'm just I'm looking cool. Driving my Jeep. Can't wait to hit the 4 by 4 roads. All of a sudden, I hit 50 kilometers an hour. And my lovely Jeep started shaking itself apart. And I could barely control the wheel with the wobble. And I, it scared me so much that I, I pulled back. I pulled back. And it went away. I thought, oh, maybe I picked up a rock. And so I sped up again, 50 miles an hour. Boom. Death wobble. Is that what your life feels like? Sometimes? I know it did for me. Have this death wobble. Why? Because we're unbalanced. What happened is the hub is not in the center. The hub is off-center. And so you have this, this wobble going on. It's not a pleasant experience. And that's what life is like if Christ is not your center. Imagine what life is like for those that don't even have Christ in their life. That's why I think a lot of us still struggle with sin and with living a victorious Christian life. Spiritual children struggle in the flesh. And with doing the will of the Spirit, there's fear and doubt. And uh, we are often in danger of falling prey to the deception of the enemy. What's happened is that the seed that is planted has not been nurtured. And it hasn't grown into a healthy plant that's now capable of... ...taking root. And it only endures for a time. Or the struggles and the stumbles of life or the cares and concerns of life in this world choke out the word and they remain unfruitful. And, and we all know... Christ, or People who say that they're Christians who come to church and then we don't see them for six months. And then they come back to church for a week or two and then they're back in the world again. And they're constantly going back and forth from the world to the kingdom of God. God never intended it to be that way. He intends for us <clears throat> what Colossians chapter 2, verse 7 says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Three things. Rooted, built up, established in the faith. Think about those things. Do you get a, do you get a sense of permanence? A sense of permanence, of strength, of stability. 
And, and that word established means exactly that. It means to make firm. It means to confirm and to prove the truth. And so when we study the word of God on our own, not having it spoon-fed to us through Bible studies uh, from other leaders or pastors, but we actually study the word for ourselves, we become firmly rooted in the word of God through prayer and through fellowship and witnessing the picture of a balanced Christian life. As I said, a disciple follows Jesus, but they must be taught. Notice what it says in Matthew 28, verse 20. Teaching them as I have commanded you. Teaching means to instruct or to explain or to expound a thing, to teach one something. And that's what disciples are to do with others. They're to teach others as, as Jesus has taught them. He says there, as I have commanded you. His commandments, his instructions, his spiritual practices. And then Colossians 2.7 again, as a reminder, says very much the same thing. It says, established as you have been taught. And that word there, taught, is the same Greek word that's used in uh, Matthew 28, verse 20. The word teaching, it's the same Greek word. And, and that's what it means, to establish someone. Now, as you look at this wheel illustration, think about your own walk with the Lord. Again, examine yourselves. Are you following him? Where is Christ in your life right now? Is he at the center of your life or is he off-center? Is your life balanced or unbalanced? Which of the elements in the wheel, the word, prayer, fellowship, witnessing, Christ the center, obedient Christian in action, those elements, which of those elements do you feel weakest in or strongest in? We're all weak or strong in all kinds of things. But any weakness creates imbalance in our spiritual life and keeps us perhaps at the spiritual infant or spiritual child stage or maybe keeps us at a spiritual young adult stage or whatever stage. And, and perhaps we go back and forth between the stages. Think again about those, these things. Because the truth is we're all stronger in some things and weaker in others. And that's why it's so important for our growth as Christians and followers of Christ that we ensure that Christ remains at the center of our lives because when we are weak, he is strong. Think again about the Great Commission. See what it says. Make disciples, verse 19. Teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, verse 20. If we're not taught to feed ourselves, how are we ever going to feed others? Spirit, you know, children, natural children, I submit to you they have all the equipment for procreation, except for maturity. We don't want children to procreate. There's too much of that going on. We want them to become mature, become adults, make adult decisions, be able to, to decide when they're going to bear children. Putting Christ at our center means making Christ Lord. 
And that is what I'm talking about this morning. It's the lordship of Christ, following Christ, but as Lord. It's vital to our growth as disciples. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Crucified. We don't like to think about that. I, I know when I look at myself, I find sometimes there's a little bit too much of life in me. A little bit of the old, a little bit of the new. I haven't really crucified myself to the point where his will supersedes mine or allowing his will to supersede mine. And I, I remember years ago I was at a conference and Pastor John Corson taught a message and it stuck with me. He asked the question, talking about the um, crucifixion of Christ. He says, let me ask you this question. He says, when, when Christ hung on the cross, how do you know he was dead? Well, we know that he was dead because the word tells us that he gave up the spirit. But we know for a fact that he, he was dead because a Roman centurion came along, took a spear with an 18-inch point on it, and shoved it right through the side of our Lord. And blood and water came out. And John said, and he didn't go, ouch. Well, I know that I haven't yet crucified things in my life when I'm trying to give them up and I'm going, ouch, ouch. Ouch. And those are the things that I need to kill. And it doesn't matter what you struggle with. You need to kill it. If it's, if it's displeasing to our Lord and Savior, it needs to be crucified. A, cruci a crucified man doesn't worry about lying or, or fornication or pornography or, or whatever. Why? Because a crucified man's dead. Those of you who have taken book one of the 2-7 series may remember the following slide. Or the, the following comment. The act of making Christ central in your life, that is giving him the place of true lordship in your life, is really an act of your will. It is a decision you make, and there may be times of recommitment. True lordship is a volitional matter. That is a matter of your choice or your will. But as you pray and as others pray for you, God creates within you the desire to do what he wants you to do in order to express his lordship in your life. And I love what Oswald Chambers said. He said, the passion of Christianity comes from deliberately signing away my own rights and becoming a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Until I do that, I will not begin to be a saint. And if Christ is Lord... Doesn't it make sense then we, that we submit every aspect of our life to him? If he's, the, if he's the only power, the great power in the universe, doesn't it make sense to put ourselves under that power? Take a look at this slide. And ask yourself, if Jesus is Lord, is he at the center of all these things? And these are just a few Stewardship, money, and possessions. Is he lord over, the, over those? Marriage and family. Is he lord over that? And that was something that the Lord really spoke to me about in the last few years. You know, how to, how to be a good husband. 
And my prayers began to change where I used to pray, oh, Lord, would you speak to my wife? Would you change her heart? Would you do this? Would you do that? And and the Lord said, you're praying amiss. Like James says, you only pray in order to have these things for yourself. And I thought, you know, you're right, Lord. And so I began to, to pray, Lord, change me. Teach me how to be a husband. Teach me how to love my wife as you, Christ, love the church. Teach me how to give myself up for her. Teach me how to lay my life down for my wife. I've never experienced such love for my wife like I have in these last few years. Christ is at the center. Is he the center of our church? Is he the center of relationships? How about leisure time? Young people, dating. Who are, you, who are you dating? Think about these things. Education, why, why are we going to school? Are we just perpetual students or is there a purpose to it? Our vocations. And there's so, so many other areas that we could have put in there, but I only, only had so many pies. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says that we are to be living sacrifices wholly acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. Reasonable service. Living sacrifice. Sacrifice was placed on the altar, dead, crucified, death to self, alive to Christ. When we give our lives, our will over to the Lord, that's when transformation happens so that we no longer desire that old life. I mean, honestly, folks, you know, we heard the testimonies. Think of your own testimony, what you were like before Christ. I know what I was like before Christ. I don't want to go there. That scares me. I don't ever want to be that man ever again. I want more of Jesus, more of Jesus. Just give me more of Jesus. We want to put on our new life in Christ. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a tough statement, but the Lord said it. What do we do with it? We just ignore it? No. We pray about it. We read about it in Scripture. We look at our lives and we say, okay, Lord... I'm not denying myself in this area. Marriage, church, dating, whatever. I'm giving it all to you. In Luke chapter 9, we see those three things that I believe every disciple, all of us, need to attain to. Jesus said, come after me. Follow me. Two, he said, deny yourself. Three, take up your cross. And that's how we are to follow him. It's in obedience. It's an obedience to his word, and it's obedience through prayer. It's an obedience and fellowship. And it's an obedience to witnessing, making disciples. See, we've, we, we've kind of separated what Jesus said in Matthew 28 into two parts, evangelism and discipleship. Well, I'm not called to be an evangelist. Well, you're called to be a, a disciple. You know, I mean, not many of us are called to be doctors or lawyers or car mechanics or whatever, but we're all called to be disciples.
And so we take up our cross daily and crucify whatever is displeasing to the Lord. Uh, and so, you know, there, there may be areas as you're thinking about this, there may be areas in your life that you've not given over to submission to Jesus. And, and you know, that's, that's the way it is. You know, children uh, struggle in obedience to parents. Uh, you know, parents here, we all know that our kids do everything we tell them to do, right? You know, my youngest is 27. He still doesn't do what I tell him to do, you know? So it's not that it's something that comes natural. The opposite actually is natural to us. You know, God, you said, what? No, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. Well, am I not Lord? Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's just ingrained in the nature of children, natural children and spiritual children, to struggle in obedience to their parent, to their father, their mother, because they haven't yet learned the purpose of obedience. What did Jesus say? He does the will of the Father. He, does, he, is, he is submitted to the Father in obedience. He did everything the Father asked him to do, even dying on a cross. Think about that. Jesus said, Lord, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. And he went to the cross. Children may be self-focused, but submitting to the Lordship of Christ matures us and grows us, and so we become spiritual young adults. And as spiritual young adults, then we become kingdom-focused, and we continue to move forward, eventually becoming spiritual elders, who then become disciple-makers. Matthew 6.22, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. As I, as I close, maybe the worship team can come up now. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What unrighteous thing am I doing? Lord, are you the center of that? If I'm doing something unrighteous, you obviously aren't. Disciples of Christ turn over every area of their lives to him to experience fullness of joy and the abundant life which Christ came to bring. John chapter 10, verse 10. He talked, Jesus talked about the enemy coming to kill and destroy. But I have come, speaking of himself, I have come to bring you life and to bring it more abundant. There's a whole world out there that's waiting to hear about an abundant life. Christ has called us to learn how to bring that message to the world, to learn what that message is and how, how to bring that message. And I'll tell you, it's exciting. It's exciting. I love teaching the class. They, they, their eyes, they were like deer in a headlight. Just every morning as they shared their memory verses with each other, as they shared what the Lord had laid on their heart in their Bible reading highlights, I'm excited to hear that a number of them are meeting regularly with each other, one-on-one, -on -one, sharing the word, praying with each other. There's fellowship, my friends, right there, true fellowship. That which we have seen and heard, 1 John 1, 3, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's true fellowship. It's exciting. Let's learn together 
to follow Christ wholeheartedly. God bless you.